All right. Well, good morning, South Hills. How are you guys doing? Uh, this is a, a fun Sunday because uh, not only do we have many, many people watching at home, uh, some of you guys are joining home groups and watching, having watch parties with other families, which we love, but we also have 24 people in the room today, which I don't know if you guys, if you cheer really loudly, they might be able to hear you. I guess that we'll count that as really loudly. So I know it's all weird and we're getting used to it. So uh, for those of you that can't see, if you're watching online, everybody does have masks on. And, and so we're, we're doing our best to figure out how to be a church both online and in person and, and process social distancing and all that. And so we're going to be opening up more seats over the coming weeks. So keep an eye on our email communication as well as um, social media so that you can um, RSVP and get a spot for yourself and for your family. So uh, we, um, I, I told you guys, we had our car stolen a couple weeks ago. And so we're in this phase now where we're looking for a new car. Uh, we've been processing and trying to figure out what we want. And so we kind of decided, I think we want to do a SUV type vehicle. Our boys are both getting bigger, and so we want to get something that their legs don't knee in the back of my seat when I'm driving and fun things like that. Um, and so we've been looking, and uh, honestly, here's what I've learned. They all look the same. Like every single, it's like you can get a Hyundai or a Kia or a Mazda or a Nissan, and they all have like the same kind of SUV shape, uh, and I would love to know, and, and maybe you guys can shout this out in the room, but I mean, some of us, we had like a family vehicle growing up that uh, your parents, uh, I know my parents always bought the same kind of car every time they bought a car. Uh, if you guys are online, you can put it in the chat box. What was the family vehicle that you guys had growing up? You guys can shout it out if you're in the room. Put it in the chat box if you're online. Station wagons. Yeah, that's exactly right. We had an Astro van, uh, and when that one started getting old, my parents went and bought another Astro van. And so we had a white one and a blue one, uh, which was just, we, that was all that we had. But we all, you know, how are you supposed to pick a car is what I've been processing through. And, and so I think there's four basic kinds of people uh, out there when it comes to this idea of how you pick a car. Uh, some of you were raised in a home and that home really decided for you what type of vehicle you would own. Some of you guys were raised in a family that was like, we are a Ford family, and we will always have Fords, and you will always have a Ford, and it was just never a question. Some of you guys, as you got older, you decided to do your own research, or maybe you had friends, and, and they had a car that you liked, and so you decided to go out and pick your own car that made sense to you. It's like, well, I know we had Astro vans growing up, but... Uh, my wife will not allow me to buy an Astro van, so we're going to have to find something new, you know. Uh, some of you uh, so deeply resented the Ford Festiva that your parents had, which was what my parents had for a little while also, had a lot of issues. So uh, I think they had all four kids so that we could help push start this Ford Festiva. My mom, I remember, she would be in the driver's seat and it wouldn't start, and the four of us would get out and push this thing along. And if you guys don't know what a Ford Festiva is, it's like a flea with wheels. Uh, it's really... Um, but some of you so deeply resented the car that your parents had that you're like, you know what? I'll just ride a bike. I don't even want a car. Like, I'm not even going to process this. And there's others of you, and I think that a lot of people fall into this category, that, you know, a car is functional. If it gets you from point A to point B, then it doesn't really matter. It's like, aren't, you know, it's just, I just need to get places. I need it to be safe, to not break down, whatever the situation is. And, and we kind of end up asking this question, you know, aren't all cars, in, in that sense, aren't they all basically the same? It's, it's just different ways to get from one place to another. 
Uh, the reality is, is that for so many people, and uh, maybe some of you, maybe some of you guys watching at home online, the reality is, is that so many of us ask the same question about religion. We kind of get to this place where it's like, well, aren't they all kind of the same? They're just different sides of the same mountain. Like, we're all just trying to get to this one place, and, and as long as the one that you have works for you, then I'm not going to, you know, I mean, some of you guys are pretty judgmental. You're like the Ford, you know, we buy American type of people, uh, and you feel the same way about religion, but there's a lot of people that ask these same types of questions, and, and so since we have different backgrounds and perspectives represented at South Hills, I think it's important for us to kind of get a base understanding of how we view religion, because sometimes religion is viewed as this really just it is a negative thing. And on its own, it's, it's neutral. Religion is a neutral thing. And so here's how we define neut- uh, religion. It's a systematic way of getting our deep-seated human need for wisdom, camaraderie, and purpose met. Religion is a system that we choose to enter into that helps meet our deepest human needs for purpose and wisdom and camaraderie. We talk about this a lot, actually, in Discover One, and that, uh, as Todd mentioned, that's coming up in a couple weeks. If you guys want to sign up for that, I'd love to have you. But it, it's, it's a way to get these things that we all need as humans, and in that sense, it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I think that there are four kinds of people when it approaches, when it comes to religion. Some of you were raised in a home, and your parents defined for you what religion you would be. Uh, Some of you decided, or maybe you had a friend that had a cool religion, you did your own research, and you chose, you know what, I'm going to move away from what my parents did, I'm going to move into a new religion, a new system. Some of you so deeply resented the Ford Fest, I mean the religion that your parents had, that you said, I'd rather ride a bike. I'd rather not be religious. In fact, I'm not religious at all. I'm atheist, or I'm agnostic. Some of us say, well, I'm, I'm just spiritual. And so we, we so deeply push against what we grew up in that we want nothing to do with it. And then many, many, many people, especially in 2020, you just, you know what? Whichever one you choose, as long as it works for you, it's fine. They're all, it's just different sides of the same mountain. We're all moving up. We're all trying to get there. And who am I to judge unless you got a Ford Festiva, but other than that, you know, it's, it's just a sense of, it's, it's all kind of the same. And so that's really what leads us to the question that we're, we're asking today in this series, asking for a friend, this question, aren't all religions basically the same? And, and here's the thing is that, you know, as you look at various religions and faiths around the world and over time, there are so many similarities. Uh, it is easy to point out the similarities. It's easy to point out that there's a lot of common things that they all have. A few things that almost every single religion, every single world religion, major religion has is a code of ethics. They have a model of, of what does it look like to pray and how to pray. Um, most of them have an emphasis on morality and service to others. They all have a set of rituals, things that you need to do to be a part of this religion. Um, They all have prophets and teachers. Most of them have sacred texts that you can rely on and that you can learn from. So there are a lot of things that overlap, and there's actually a lot of, you know, even really positive things that overlap. These teachings on love and how we care for others. And I mean, you can look at other religions and be like, yeah, I I absolutely, I affirm that, and I agree with that aspect of that. And, And so we look out, there's so much in common, but there really is also so much difference. 
There are so many things that are different between different religions. And what we're going to talk about today is this idea. But first, I want to address one of the most common rejections or pushbacks or qualms that people have with Christianity. And then we're going to kind of go into the, the last part of this message. Um, this is a struggle that many of your friends have had. This is a question that, that many of you have asked and maybe some of you still struggle with. This is a question that, honestly, I don't think that we as Christians or Jesus followers, we don't really like to think about this question because it kind of makes us a little bit uncomfortable, if, if we're honest about it. It makes us a little bit uncomfortable. And, and this question that we get so often is this. Isn't it a little bit narrow-minded to say that Christianity is the only way? Isn't it a little bit exclusive? Isn't it just like a little bit arrogant to say that Christianity is the only way? This is a question I've heard hundreds, if not thousands of times. This is a question that I have wrestled with in my own life of, is it, is it a little bit narrow-minded to think that this is the only way? I've got a ton of questions that surround this. Now, there's a lot to be said on this topic, and you could really teach, uh, I mean, an entire academic class on, on this idea, and obviously I'm not going to do that today. Uh, I couldn't do that even if I wanted to, but I want to touch on it briefly. Um, and there's two things I kind of want to address. The first is, is that almost every major religion, every major faith is exclusive in their claims that it is the only correct one. But Christianity is much more evangelistic than most other faiths. We are pursuing people and communicating and trying to talk to and convince other people to, to, to understand and to believe and to see what we see. And so it's not that it's Christianity alone that claims to be exclusive. It's almost every single major world faith. And so it, there's just a shift of understanding that of, well, yeah, it, it is exclusive, but that's, we're not the exclusive exclusives. Uh, we are all exclusive in this sense when it comes to our faiths and in the religions. Uh, the second thing is that truth can't be narrow-minded. And there's this, I want to try and do my best to explain this without spending a ton of time on it. But if it's true, it's true. It can't be narrow-minded. It can't be arrogant. Now, you can be truthful in an arrogant way. But truth in and of itself cannot be narrow-minded. I'm not just talking about Christianity. I'm just talking about in general. And I've heard a lot of people say that we live in a post-truth society. We hear people a lot of times say things like, you know what, you need to speak your truth. And there's a sense, I think it's coming from a good place. But there are not many truths in life. There are just truths. Uh, we cannot believe something that is true and different about the same thing. There, there's a challenge that happens here, and, and I am a massive fan of nuance and gray space, but truth is by nature true. I heard one person say that a belief is true if it reflects the way that reality is, and it's false if it doesn't. So a belief that you have is true, if it reflects the way that reality actually is. And on all questions of truth, there is ultimately one right answer because there is only one reality, unless you live in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Then we know that there's multiple layers. Uh, and so we have this thing where uh, truth can't be narrow-minded. Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, we've been teaching our son 
at home like everybody else has with distance learning. A couple weeks ago, we were doing math, which is not his favorite subject. And, uh, and we were working through the worksheets, and he was just doing the problems. And he kind of gets in this space where he's, you know, he has a lot of the answers memorized, which is awesome. Uh, and then uh, when he doesn't have one memorized, he just like kind of lobs one out. Uh, and sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, the other day, it was probably a week ago or so, he, he was doing this problem and he got the wrong answer. And I was teacher for the day, or for, probably for the hour. I, can, I cannot make it very long as a teacher. So uh, I was there and I was working with him and, uh, and he, I told him that's the wrong answer. He's like, no, it's not. It is. Like, I don't know how to tell you this. It is. He's like, it's not. It's the right answer. And I was like, buddy, like, it's an addition problem. Like, there is only one right answer. And he's like, but why can't this one be right also? And I was like, well, that's not really how addition works. That's not really how this works. And I thought that I was like this great genius because I was like trying to explain this idea to him. I was like, it's close to the right answer because it was two numbers off. And I was like, but it's not actually the right answer. And then this week as I was preparing and studying, I found this quote by C.S. Lewis. And I am just as smart as C.S. Lewis, apparently. He says this. As in arithmetic, there is only one right answer to a sum, and all other answers are wrong. But some answers are much nearer being right than others. And I thought that this was a really beautiful way, as we talk about different religions and different belief systems, I think that when it comes to truth, there is, there is one truth. But there are a lot of religions and a lot of belief systems and a lot of faiths that are much closer to being right than others. Uh, and so this is what the tension that I want to hold is, is that as we look at Christianity, it makes an exclusive claim, but so do other religions. And it's not arrogant to believe that ours is true and that others aren't because there's a sense of, well, this is what we believe truth is. Um, you know, if, if you were a person that said um, Christianity is the only way, that is either true or false. If you say all roads lead to God, that is either true or false. Neither of them are more true or more false, but there is a perception of arrogance that comes with the phrase. And honestly, I think a lot of the arrogance comes because of the way that people have communicated it to their friends and their families. And so the first one, all roads lead to heaven, to God. This is either true or false. And the second one is either true or false. Neither of them are narrow. They're just true or false. So what makes Christianity different than other religions? What are the things that define Christianity? And, and this, again, is a topic that's massive, but I want to kind of go through a few of the most crucial core things for us today as we look at this question of, aren't all religions the same? It's like, well, there's a lot of overlap. And I would say that some of them are much, much nearer true than others. But I really believe that Christianity is set apart because of these few things. The first one is that Jesus is God coming to us, not a prophet pointing to God. Jesus is God come to us. Every other religion uh, had prophets that would come and they would point the way to God. And even Christianity and Judaism actually had prophets that would point the way to 
God. Ultimately, in Jesus, we see God actually stepping in and coming to us. Every other religion, as we talk about the differences, they all have these prophets and these teachers that would say, that's the direction to go if you want to find God. Whereas in Christianity, Jesus' early followers, they actually also believed that he was a prophet sent to them by God. And so they ask him, they say, what do we need to do to experience uh, God? And, And then Jesus replies to them in John 14, verse 9, and he says this, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Jesus is is telling Philip and the disciples and the other listeners, he's like, if you have seen me, you have seen God. I'm not trying to teach you the ways of God and hopefully you'll find him. I'm not trying to point the direction. I'm not like a loose kind of compass for you to engage with. I am God and I have come to you. Jesus is not a representative for God. He is a representation of God. And this is a huge, unique aspect of what we believe in the Christian faith. And it's important to us, and each one of these steps builds on each other. So Jesus is God coming to us. It's not a prophet or a teacher pointing to God. And the second one is that this God loves his enemies. Most gods destroy their enemies, especially in this time, in the ancient Near East, when a lot of these passages were written and, and this faith started being built, the foundations of this, most gods were incredibly angry and hateful and they would destroy the enemies uh, that were either against that God or against that God's chosen people. And there's a, a massive difference because this God loves his enemies. Not only that, this God dies for his enemies. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his great love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then even in Jesus's life, as he's talking and he's teaching, he's saying, I don't want you to, to hate those who hate you. I don't want you to fight your enemies. I want you to love and pray for your enemies. This is an ongoing teaching that is opposed to almost every other faith system and belief system that is out there. This idea that this God would not destroy or wipe out his enemies, but would ultimately die for them. He forgives them. He embraces them. He heals them. Unlike other gods who demand that we sacrifice ourselves on their behalf to prove our loyalty, this God sacrifices himself on our behalf to prove his love for us. This is a beautiful and powerful and unique aspect of our faith that sets it apart from so many other faiths. This is totally different and totally new. In John 3, 16 and 17, a verse many of us are familiar with, it says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. God graciously saves us because we are not strong enough to save ourselves. That's what the gospel is, that God came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That is the good news. That's where we have hope. No one is able to do this on their own, and that is where religion becomes this painful, uh, broken, or negative thing for many people because we, we can start to view religion as the process by which we save ourselves. And Christians do that same thing really well. Even though we have this God, 
that has sacrificed and given his life for us, even though we have a, a father who loves us, even though we have Christ who, who ultimately forgives us of our sins, we, you're like, you know what? I better make sure I check all these boxes so that I am still good enough, so that I'm still worthy, so that I'm still accepted. And the crazy thing is that we were never worthy enough in the first place. God loved us even in the midst of our brokenness. This God comes to lay his life down for us. He repairs what is broken in us so that we can partner with him to repair what is broken around us. So Jesus is God come to us. This God loves his enemies. And this God doesn't ask us to achieve, but he invites us to receive. Which I think is maybe one of the oldest rhymes in preacher history. This idea of achieving versus receiving. But this is such a true statement. God does not ask us to achieve anything. He invites us to receive what he is offering. It's trusting that we are loved, that we always have been, that we always will be, that, that we don't have to do anything or prove anything or, or accomplish anything in order to be loved or to be forgiven. It's, it's an invitation, it's an offer that we get to accept, that we get to receive, and sometimes we turn that into a religious process of trying to earn it on the back end when it wasn't given to us with strings attached. It wasn't given to us with an expectation that, okay, now you've got to be perfect or you're going to lose it. It was a gift of grace and life and forgiveness that we get to accept and we get to just receive that and hold on to it. Exactly as we are, we are forgiven and accepted. Christianity isn't about what we need to do to get to God. It's about what God already did to get to us. It is this beautiful perspective of God pursuing a relationship, even from the beginning in the garden poem, God pursuing a relationship over time throughout history, God pursuing and God pursuing and trying to make his presence known and trying to care for his people. And then ultimately the, the, the pinnacle of this is Jesus coming to show up and to physically be with us and love us and give himself for us. Our faith is about what God has already done to get us. It's from this place of trust, this place of reliance, of recognizing that we can't do it on our own. It's from this place of realizing that there is a God that has pursued us even in our most broken moments, that has given his life for us even while we were still his enemies. It's from this place that Jesus asks him, us, Jesus asks us rather, to trust him alone. Because we have this, this craving, this need that needs to be met. And we look for it in so many other places to be proven worthy and to find purpose and to find wisdom. We look for it in all these places. And, and in all of our brokenness, we look at what Jesus did for us. And we're like, man, that is amazing and beautiful. And I am so grateful for this gift, this offer of forgiveness and life. But we're still tempted to try and find it other places too. We're still tempted to look other areas and other directions. And Jesus says, please, it is me alone. In John 14, 6, Jesus tells them, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. This impulse that's built into every one of our hearts to crave kind of a, a clear path let me know what to do. How can I win? How can I succeed? How can I be, how can I earn it? How can I be good enough? 
we all kind of have this middle class spiritual mentality where we're like, I don't need a handout. I'll work for it on my own. Thank you very much. I don't need a gift. I can take care of myself. And ultimately, we know we can't. But this is how we approach our spirituality and our relationship with God oftentimes. There's this invitation this, for us to receive, but inside of us, we want to continue searching and, and looking and, and, and trying to find this path forward. And that one path is in Jesus, the best way, the ultimate truth, and the key to finding wholeness in life. We don't do any of this for acceptance. We do this from a place of acceptance. Because we were accepted, because we are loved, because we are forgiven, that is how we now get to live our lives. It's not living our lives in order to get these things. So ultimately, for us, is what we look at is that Christianity is the process of learning to be who God tells me that I already am. God has already spoken it to me, to you, that you are loved and that you are worthy and that you are valuable and that you are forgiven and that you are accepted. So our faith is not a faith of trying to get those things. Our faith is a journey of trying to embody what we already are, what God has already spoken over us. And as we do that, we start to live differently and talk differently and speak differently. We show up differently in our jobs and in our communities and our neighborhoods because of who God said that we are. This is, this is the hope that we have. This is what sets us apart from other religions. And none of this is meant in any way to bash any other faith or any other religion. I just want to articulate this is the difference. Is does Christianity have guidelines or laws or rules? Are there things we are supposed to do and not supposed to do? Yes, but not so that we can be loved. Are there prayers? Is there a sacred text that we read? Is there teachers that we listen to? Yeah, but not so that we can earn ourselves into God's favor or God's acceptance. It is already offered to us in Christ. And so our journey as followers of Jesus is not to be the best Christian. It is to be able to embrace the truth of what God has already said about us. And as we do that, the light inside of us grows brighter and brighter. And it impacts and it shapes the people around us as well. Let's bow our heads and pray together.